Jamie. Yeah. It's podcast 35. So? Well, it's the Interplanetary Podcast. Putting, Putting the ace back, back into, into space. space. Oh. Yeah, baby space. Lord. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Really excited about this one because I have to say, when you sent me over the notes of today's show, my mind was blown by a few things. First up, Bob Cabana. Bob Cabana. Bob Cabana. <laughs> Am I pronouncing it right? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I hope so. Bob Cabana. So yeah, Bob Cabana. He's a 2008 Hall of Famer and the current director of NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And uh, will be inducting two very special people into the Astronaut Hall of Fame. That is not too shabby, is it really? No. So we're going to have I'm going to have a go at pronouncing someone else's name, who probably then. is Ellen Ocoa, uh, who's the first Hispanic woman to go into space. Okay. And Michael Fole, legend, who is a US astronaut but was born in Britain. And you you went to see him last night. Yeah, guess who I met last night? Michael Fole. How I mean, was how it? Awesome is it? It was so cool. It was absolutely he. It really, 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 really good. He he, he basically um, told us all about his uh, space shuttle missions, and uh, and then in the second half told us all about his Mir space station mission which which awesome. is what he's really which is what he's really famous for so um we've we've talked about Michael Fall on the show before on on show 23 12 and 14 yeah we did <laughs> yeah 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 we're fans we're fans yeah so i i think after meeting me he was uh, he's decided to scurry off back to america to accept his uh, his induction at the space shuttle atlantis attraction at the kennedy That's space center the kind center. of effect you have on people isn't it <laughs> so yeah. he's 60 he's 60 but he certainly doesn't look 60 in fact in the photo that i put no. up on twitter i think he looked he actually looks younger than me which is a bit embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's uh, just a recap. He spent 373 days in space, almost 374. Um, Not too shabby at all, yeah, either, no. again. No. Uh, he's he, clocked up some stats, this guy. Yeah, he? yeah. He was chosen in 1987 uh, for uh, the NASA training. Uh, he's been on space shuttle missions STS-45, 56, 63, and 84, 86, and 103. <laughs> and, he's been on a, and he's been on a Soyuz mission as well, TMA-3, Expedition 8. Um, and he also served on the Mir space station on, uh, in, uh, on number 23 and number 24 for Mir. So he's pretty phenomenal. Um uh, he went to Cambridge University with Stephen Fry, right? Uh, and, and he did show a picture of him drinking with Stephen Fry at college. Uh, uh, and he walked away from uh, Cambridge with a first-class honours degree. That's not bad, is it? Oh, it's just normal. It's a normal <laughs> thing. I've got a few of those. Uh, but he was a pilot, so he 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 could gli- he was uh, used to gliding. But when he went to do his military test, he 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 mucked it up. His eyesight wasn't good enough to be in the oh. military and he wanted to follow his dad who was who used to fly uh, nuclear weapons around in the RAF. 
Right. And his dad married an American, which will be pretty important later on. But it was his mum, apparently, who really encouraged him to get into space and bought him space books and things like that. So uh, he he was he, so he was massively into space, but he thought he'd blown his chance when he couldn't get into the military. But oh, right. um, okay. which is quite quite funny. That's very similar. To, I'm reading uh, Mike Massimino's book at the moment, and it's mm. quite a similar start to that. It's like you can all. It sort of sounds like Mike Massimino had no chance of getting into uh, the space corps whatsoever. Yeah, uh, but then suddenly he did, and and again he's one of the most successful uh, astronauts as well. Uh, yeah, so uh, he flew on space shuttle missions STS-45, 56 and 63 and one of those uh, had his favourite experiment which was firing a laser firing a laser laser beam <laughs> into the atmosphere and creating a false aurora and he said it was amazing like this laser shooting wow. out and on all the electrons flying down the sort of um, magnetic field lines of the Earth and then hitting the atmosphere and creating a false aurora. Is that a normal experiment? Is that is that a thing that well, happens? Well, I've never heard of that before. No, and I've never... Do you know what? And someone in the audience asked, well, is there any footage? And the only footage is like a really rubbish bit of black and white footage of the laser beam leaving the space shuttle. And he said, I no, that, that, still like that's it. it. Well, there's no footage. I mean, literally, oh. honestly, it's not worth watching that bit of footage. No. It like, just looks like a, a a white beam of light leave, leaving something that's on the edge of the space shuttle, and, and it's pretty ropey. It's pretty grainy. You say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, want the bl- I want the Blu-ray version. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's 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 barely the um, it's barely the TDK tape version. Oh, that sounds amazing. Imagine seeing that. I oh, know, so just ludicrous. But his moment of glory really was uh, to go to the Mir space station, hmm. and uh, when he went to the Mir space station, as he was uh, get as he was on board, and the American that was already on there was leaving, uh, that the American sort of turned around to him and said. Um, Michael, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago there was a, a progress, um, a progress um, cargo vehicle approaching, and um, Vasily seemed to be uh, sort of controlling it remotely, and the thing almost hit the space station, and we were really lucky at the last second he managed to divert it, but he seemed to be flying it remotely. So uh, look out. Uh, Michael, because that's like a bit worrying. Oh <laughs> so, my but apparently, God. Michael Fall sort of thought to himself, "Yeah, that uh, that does sound a bit worrying." But then, sort of let it, then sort of forgot about it. And then, <laughs> a few months, I think, later, he saw Vasily uh, at this computer screen, all dressed smartly in his flight suit, trying to control a progress vehicle without, uh, like, remotely from the space station. And he'd switched off the radar that's on the front of the progress vehicle that that basically tells the progress vehicle how how fast it's coming into the space station. And without it, you kind of have to do... <laughs> well, they were, they were looking at the size... They were using the cameras on the um, progress vehicle yeah. to look at the size of the space station, which they then uh, sort of measured on the screen, then using some graph paper was trying to work out how fast it was going. 
and then uh, Michael Fall went into all these this uh, this talk about um, the Coriolis effect and and how it has to come in in circles. At which point, I was getting a little bit confused. <laughs> but, yeah, no but doubt. you can see that obviously flying in something on a little grainy black and white screen with a with a little black joystick. Um, it's going to be quite difficult when these things are travelling at thousands of miles an hour and God, orbiting the crazy. Earth. And, and, and so, yeah. so, so um, Michael Falk apparently came over and was watching Vasily do this. And uh, as it came in, it was just going far too fast. And it basically smashed into the side of the Mir space station. At which point, God. I think Michael Fall thought, "Well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, it's all going to fall apart, and I'm going to be sucked into the vacuum of space. I better breathe out so that uh, I, I survive more than one second and survive twenty seconds instead." So, <laughs> yeah. and then he's sort of looking around and thought, "Oh, oh no, no, it has all managed to sort of stay together." But obviously, they they were in then in a massive emergency though. So he, they're all. Uh, shutting off areas and so i think there was something like six modules or five modules of the space station at that point and they mm. were down to two after sort of closing off all the the the, the, the um compromised um parts of the space station imagine yeah. how terrified you'd be <laughs> i mean i know that they're meant to keep calm but even them surely when you think well, oh, it's well I'm dead. it sounded like they did stay calm but there was one bit where um the two Russian cosmonauts and Michael Fowler are looking out the window and they're having to fan themselves because the electric power's gone down because the solar panels aren't pointing towards the sun because it's now in a spin. Uh, so uh, And they're having to fan yeah. themselves to keep the carbon dioxide away from themselves so that they don't suffocate. And uh, Michael Fowler sort of looked out the window and said, oh, it's, at least it's, a, after, it's been a really bad day, but at least the view's nice. <laughs> <laughs> of which Vasily said, uh, no, it's, just been, it's just been a really bad day. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. oh dear, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like, oh my God. And so, yeah. How's it all going up there? Um, uh, so I, I think, so Michael Foles kind of, I guess the, the, the thing that he's most famous for was that he, he stuck his thumb on the window and was able to use his Cambridge education in physics to work out the spin of the spacecraft and i think he modeled this on the on the on the uh, mia computer and was talking to mm. ground control and saying look you know what what the heck what do we need to do and they were sort of saying well you need to you need to get the spin under control in the y axis which was was which meant that the solar panels could at least point at the um uh, at the sun more uh, right. But but if it starts spinning in the x-axis, then it's pretty much game over because you just won't have enough fuel to then. Mm. Now the fuel that they use to stop it spinning is on the Soyuz spacecraft itself, so uh, ah. which which are on either side of the space station. So there's a couple of progress vehicles, or uh, and well, I know the actual kind of Soyuz that take them off the space station, and of course they're right. their lifeboats. They're the, they're the, how they get off. So if they use all the fuel up in them, then they are genuinely doomed. So um, uh, I think uh, the, the two Russians didn't really want to do it because they were concerned that they were going to use up all the fuel. But Michael Fowl managed to persuade them after talking to ground control to that uh, actually no, this this would actually be possible to to do. So um, God, yeah, he, what a he, hero! Yeah, so he managed to get it under control. <laughs> so That's just ridiculous. Yeah, so when he, when he returned to Earth, um, uh, Bill Clinton said, yeah, come and see me. You, you've been a, a, a massive I American mean, hero. He probably and, saved the day for everyone. <laughs> well, you know, he, he uh, I think the phrase that Bill Clinton used, I think, was that you, you didn't embarrass us 
<laughs> which keeps yeah, coming right. up a few times in Michael Foles' speech was as how like uh, how these things, the stress is that you, what you don't want to do is go wrong and embarrass everyone. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, uh, Especially so, yeah. with all the money that they were spending that people were annoyed about. You know, I oh, know. So, so Michael Foles, he yeah. So when he, when he when he got back to earth, um, uh, he he, uh, he him and his family visited Bill Clinton, uh, and there's a picture of him and his family with Bill Clinton, and uh, which is pretty cool. And he went. <laughs> He said to Bill Clinton, he said, you know, I understand that my mission was very important when it comes to uh, stopping the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And Bill Clinton sort of said, yeah, that, that's part of it, but didn't elaborate. <laughs> right, so, uh, okay. yeah, so there's uh, that was a really cool moment. Well, apparently in Russia, they show a film every year of the Mir space station crash. Uh, yeah. on the anniversary and uh, it kind of shows Michael Fole apparently sort of flying through the air and hitting Vasily and causing the crash <laughs> oh well I kind of hope that that's a bit of a joke but so no I don't know uh, but he did get the Yuri Gagarin gold medal from the Federation Aeronautique Internationale well, that, well, the FAI do. so you know that's not a bad one to get is it no so uh, yeah, so he's a bit of a hero, and he, after that he went he went up on a couple more space shuttle missions, uh, and also and repa- and one of those was repairing the uh, Hubble Space uh, Telescope. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, any time you mention the Soyuz, mm-hmm. I always flash back to the reminder that people not only have to learn rocket science and be just a general genius. Mm-hmm. But they have to learn it in Russian. <laughs> yeah, well, I and learn and learn and learn all the controls in Russian, and learn what to do if there's disasters in, in Russian. Russian. Yeah, uh, well, Whoa. how cool was that um, picture of the Yuri Gagarin training center and the name of it in Russian, and then the name of it in American in English. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's just like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were like looking at That was one of the coolest things of that, um, of being at that Mars nation with uh, Dr. Alicia, who was, of course, Russian. So, um, Absolutely. so yeah, that, that was very, very, yeah, that was really cool, wasn't it? But uh, no, apparently, so cool. um, Michael Fole was pretty good at Russian, although he really didn't, I don't think he liked his time at the, um, didn't sound like he liked his time at that uh, training center at all. Uh, although oh. he did, he did get to learn. Well, they, they, it was like really weird. It's like they treated him like a sort of space rookie. And so they were getting him to do things like stand on his leg. And he was saying, you know, I've been to space before. And they're saying, yes, but this is how you, this is how Yuri Gagarin did it. So everyone has to do it as <laughs> Yuri Gagarin did it. Right, so it's right, like, well, this standard. is what Yuri Gagarin did. You know, he's such a massive hero that everyone has to go to space in the style of Yuri Gagarin. Yeah. So well, I mean, just normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you know. <laughs> so they're very proud of that. Uh, but you know, there, there's a heartbreaking picture that he showed of his of his little daughter because obviously he has to yeah. move there. He kind of found out he was moving there uh, after everyone else knew, and he's like there for a year and a half with his family, and his little daughter's there, and she's you know, she's only a little girl, and she's sitting on her own, and every, all the other children speak Russian, and she doesn't, and she's eating some grim soup, and you think. Yeah, it's, it's really, oh, really hard it. on the families of, of, of astronauts. They do have to sacrifice yeah. a lot. They go through the mill, don't they? Yeah, so it, it was a very... Well, it was, wasn't it, it was Chris Hadfield, wasn't it, who said that his, his children just don't, you know, they, they, they spent so long without him that they ended up just not recognising him. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that must be heartbreaking when it's your own kids. <laughs> yeah. Daddy's home, it's like, uh, who are you? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever, yeah. it's a spaceman. Who cares? Oh, God. Yeah. Well, yeah. I like to think that they repair these relationships, you know? Yeah. So, uh, um, uh, Michael Fole is an OBE, just so you know, which is the As order of the British Empire. Which yeah. is one up, which is one up, by the way, of um, from CBE, which... Oh, sorry, MBE, which... Um, people like Gary Barlow get, which I'm a little bit pleased. If if Gary Barlow was above Michael Fole, I'd be a yeah. bit annoyed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, writing a few pop tunes is very different from controlling a space station with your thumb. It is a bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was a really interesting talk. Wow, really got... sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm no. I'm gutted it was, I it missed was... it. Yeah, you should be gutted. But yeah, there's, he's, he does quite a few talks over in Britain. Uh, he's uh, obviously a massive British hero. Despite going up as an American, he uh, speaks with a British accent and I think he kind of thinks of himself as British. Uh, the, the one thing that was very obvious at the end in the, during the question section, someone asked about uh, what he thought about the Trump administration and, and its current uh, um, science denial. I'm guessing he, was, he didn't give a glowing report. No, he was pretty depressed, <laughs> to be honest. He was, you know, he was really unoptimistic about it. Um, Good to uh, know we're not alone. Yes, well, I'm slightly more optimistic, I think. I mean, he really was, you know, this is just, uh, you know, he said for, for the um, natural sciences at NASA, it really was a very bleak time. Yeah, I'm with yeah. him, to be honest. Oosh. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll so, see. time will yeah, tell. Uh, you know, who knows? So, Jamie, yeah, to, uh, our favorite, the James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, I tagged you in a photo, um, on Instagram. It, I mean, I just I can't stop looking at it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's just the way that it reflects the, the rest of the room in its massive gold mirrors, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. So, it's, um, it's made a few it's it's been on a journey it's been on that journey that we talked about last week so it left nasa's goddard space flight center in maryland yeah. on a trailer truck on a uh, obviously trailer truck. Okay. Dr- dr- driving quite slowly yeah uh, and then went to the joint base andrews in maryland then it uh, was stuck on a tractor trailer and taken and flown to the ellington field in houston texas and then again went on a truck and went to the Johnson Space Center. There we go. That's it's not going, a bad little journey. Yeah, so and it's been taken out and put in the clean room there for cryogenic testing that will last for a hundred days. So that's to to make sure the that clean, it can, the clean room, is that what it's called? Yeah. That sounds so sinister. That sounds like they're gonna gas it or something. Oh no, no. The clean room is I basically, all satellites go in clean rooms because you, you, you don't want you don't want all bits of hair you don't and stuff on your, on your solar panels. No. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's going to go into uh, the the uh, into a uh, vacuum chamber, uh, nice. uh, which I think is probably the biggest vacuum chamber in the world uh, at uh, at the Johnson Space Center. And basically, that goes in there for a hundred days to be tested to make sure that it can withstand the vacuum and coldness of space. Okay. Uh, and then it's almost ready to, to fly in 2018. Can't wait. I really can't wait. I mean, wait. do we actually awesome. have a specific launch date yet? No, or is no, it just... no, just 2018. That's all we know at the moment. Yeah, we're just going to have to wait. Uh, we're going to have to wait. Uh, we have to be patient. 
I didn't realise that it kind of goes into a kind of parking orbit and they do some tests on it before it kind of flies out to its Lagrange point where it's going to be left. Nice. Um, uh, you love yeah. saying that, don't you? Every no, week uh, you fit yeah. that in, Lagrange point. point. Um, <laughs> but uh, talking of NASA projects, um, obviously yeah. um, this week we've heard that uh, SLS is definitely going to be uh, delayed until 2019. Yeah. And it's definitely not going to have crew on the EM1. Now, Everyone's everyone seem everyone in my in in the kind of podcasting world seems to be really yeah. chuffed about that there's no crew on the EM one. And I can understand it, the fact that it didn't really affect the timeline and what's the point of risking people. Um, I'm just maybe I'm just too cavalier. I just kind of really thought it would make the whole thing just a whole lot cooler and a whole lot more yeah. you know engaging to have crew that were gonna go on a deep space mission for the first time in fifty years. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but there we go. When you say well, deep space, they weren't going that far out, but but still. I know, I'm with you. It yeah, it's a strange cool. one, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I guess that's what they do, you know. But there was a there was an interesting article uh, uh, that basically uh, uh, was working on a NASA assessment of major projects. Um, well, it was a it was a, it was a report, and basically they were sort of very worried about how much this is going to cost, yeah. and the cost of delaying it, and how that's going to really impact on all of nasa's space missions okay and it's right isn't it just like it's just going to be an it's a sort of seems to be like a continual knock-on that you know this one of the most expensive things ever and in in the meantime boeing and all that lot still are getting paid huge sums of money They really are yeah yeah and so it's like it's a it's a bit worrying whereas spacex might be taking people round you know the moon next year. Yeah. Although I I've I saw a brilliant article this morning, uh, the head of Russia's uh, most uh, prominent spaceflight company, Energia, um, has um, basically come out and said he he just doesn't think that Vladimir Sholnitsev uh, has said that he doesn't think that uh, Elon Musk's company anywhere near being able to fly a mission in 2018 really? not oh. even not even in 2020 he's saying was musk being optimistic um, again <laughs> well no well we just don't know i think maybe there's a, a little bit of you know somewhat it's a little bit of a maybe this is a bit of a tit for tat thing because there was a brilliant article on ars technica again so uh it was a guy called tom Mueller. uh And he'd basically made a talk to the University Astronomy Society, New York uh, University Astronomy Society. And he's basically um, uh, has a a one by one gone through and kind of the kind of, you know, uh, slated a lot of the competition, basically said United Launch Alliance's rockets are just stupidly expensive uh, and that the Russians are absolutely having a laugh if they think they can ever catch up with SpaceX. I mean, (laughs) his favourite bit is, my favourite bit on it is just like, you know, sort of, points out that the Russians think that they can catch up with SpaceX, but it's taken them 22 years to build Angara, and it's, and it's only flown once. 
<laughs> he says it's just, they're just they're not yeah. even in, they're not even in the game. And he, you know, he's sort of saying how his pressure has forced the Europeans to abandon the Ariane five and move straight to Ariane six. And uh, and really, he's only got time for. Uh, why do you Blue think Origin. that is about? Why do you think that is that Russia are are lagging so much behind? I think it's got. I mean, is there what's the main reason? Is it is it investment? Is it the is it the government? Is it a mix of the two? Is it the personnel? It's investment and it's corruption, I would I would have it a guess. I mean, they had that terrible thing with the engines where they were using mm. shoddy parts and that has massively smashed up their uh, space programme. But, you know, Russia has this, its yeah. economy is the same size as Italy's. And you think, well, they're just massively punching above their weight yeah. anyway. You know, they've got a very, very proud history in, in space flight. It's one of the best things that the Russians do. However, they really don't have the money to be in the game. I mean, as an economy, it's much smaller than Britain. And Britain doesn't have a, a space flight program. Yeah. In fact, Britain is the only uh, mm. uh, nation that's ever had a space flight program and abandoned it. <laughs> that's, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? Thank goodness for the ESA, man. Yeah, well, New Zealand are just about to enter the game. God, it's amazing. Welcome to New Zealand. Yeah, so Bob Richards um, and Moon Express, uh, they're going to fly on a Rocket Lab uh, rocket, and uh, they're just about to have uh, their test launch very, very soon. In fact, uh, it's slated now. I've just found an article that it's going to go up on May the 21st. That is one for the diary. So that should be extremely exciting. Yeah, so we've got to we've got to watch that. I believe that's this Sunday, Matthew. Well, good luck to all the Kiwis. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, Rocket Lab have got some new customers as well. So Spaceflight have bought some uh, um, uh, space on uh, the Electron rocket as well. So the, uh, we, we should look forward to that. So we shall report on that next podcast. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Before we uh, wrap this one up, I, I want to go on to some letters that we've had. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that we've had some pretty good letters. So um, we got a letter from a, a chap called Jonathan Aguila. And I hope it's Aguila because that's yeah. how I pronounce the bass amp that made by Aguila. But it could be Aguilar as well. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be yes. he'll be happy if it was wrong because of that analogy. <laughs> yes, well, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, Aguila <laughs> bass amps are very, very good. Um, you know, we we tried to persuade people to use that instead of the Ampeg SVT. But anyway, moving on. Uh, uh, so he's written in yeah. to say how he's really enjoying the podcast. And he'd listened to episode 26. And he said he thinks that uh, you and me are great hosts. So thumbs up. <laughs> and he Aww. said he, he really liked uh, Harriet. Cheers, Jonathan. He really are you liked sure? Har- yeah, he really liked Harriet. And she, and she thought well, yeah, so she was wonderful, yeah, yeah. informative, enthusiastic. But he thinks that she got a couple of things wrong. So here he's... His, Surely what not. Well, we Brettel shall... does not make mistakes. <laughs> well, uh, here's his correction burn. And I think this is... Um, okay. Uh, and uh, it's... It does. I, 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 it looks like a very good explanation here. So, um, and he does point out. He goes, you know, uh, uh, and you know, obviously, he realizes that uh, he doesn't have the courage to come on and 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 do a a podcast. So, uh, and just answer questions off the hoof. Aww. So, you know. But he, he he has written a very funny email. So I think I think he's probably being a little bit modest. Um, 
so basically, one of the things that he picks up on is the chances of being able to see the transiting planets. Remember, my question was, I thought that um, seeing, seeing something like TRAPPIST-1 would be incredibly unusual because it would, it's, it would rely on the planets being just about in the right uh, orbiting plane so that we could see it. Now he's sort of yeah. saying that that yeah. that uh, yeah actually it, it is it, it's very unusual to be able to see planets um, orbiting like that, um, and he's saying it, it's to do with the tran uh, the he says the naive probability of a transit uh, is r over a where r is the stellar radius and a is the orbital distance in the same units. Uh, so a planet 0.1 AU right. from the sun still only has a four percent probability of transiting so it, it you know so if these planets are a distance away from their star it's only a four percent probability of seeing it so that that is the situation we had in 0.1 au from the sun uh from it from the star from trappist one actually uh, d- did mean that that yeah that the probability is only four percent of stars are going to be like that so we're only seeing 4% of right. the TRAPPIST-style systems. If I get this right, I might, of course, be grossly <laughs> getting this wrong, of course. Well, uh, it wouldn't yeah. be the first time. So, and, and he's saying that actually it's these low probabilities that drove the mission designed for the Kepler telescope to stare at as many stars as possible. So that was really, Kepler was, what it was, it wasn't because it was super, super um, accurate, which of course it is, but the main yeah. design is to capture as many stars as possible so that you can capture these uh, remotely unlikely transits. Uh, and of course, and he's saying the reason this matters is that the implications are enormous for planets and planetary systems like Trinus 1. The probability the mm. small rocky planet would cross through one our line of sight and that we'd be able to detect is so dismally low that finding even one system implies that there are, that there are many, many, many more such systems out there. Uh, I heard one astronomer say that that he expects small, rocky, habitable zone planets to be like vermin in the sky, (laughs) in the sense that once we know how to look for them, they'll just turn up everywhere. This is why I'm bugging you by digging up an old episode. So uh, I thought that's really good. Um, uh, And and that's why he's saying uh, systems like TRAPPIST-1 are so fantastic and inspiring that 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 is worth emphasising. So uh, that yeah, that's really really good. He also picked up on the uh, one of the one of the parts that Harriet said about uh, what made planets round was a question you asked, mm. and uh, and, he, and he says it's less to do with the fact that they've been polished off by collisions, and and it's really all to do with the hydrostatic equilibrium, the the, the force of gravity pulling materials. I.e., that gravity is all all of the gra- all of the gravity is just pushing towards the center yeah. it, but basically gravity itself uh, doesn't care about distance uh, it, well it only cares about distance and not direction so it's spherically mm. symmetrical uh, uh, and so it pulls everything into a um, uh, into 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 a into a uh, into a sphere do you know how long it took me to say the word sphere I do remember, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really interesting. I'll tell yeah. you what, we're going to have to send this letter to Harriet and, uh, and and see what she has to say. Yeah. We have to yeah. wait for her rebuttal. Well, basically, he's saying, you know? in the end, planets are round because, by tautology, this is how planets are defined. So you can only be a planet if you're round because it's saying that, uh, yeah, you have to be big enough that you're... Um, that you get into this hydrostatic equilibrium. 
and that's the important thing. Oh, I'm going to have to eat more for breakfast than I than than the orange <laughs> that I ate, Matt, to get to get to planetary size. Then, yes, is that well, what you're saying? Yeah, but my tummy okay. is getting my tummy is kind of getting to planetary size. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're on your way, Jim King, who was visiting the Kennedy Space Center. Oh, I love Jim King. Jim King, the nicest human being in the universe. Oh, he'll just do anything for anyone. Jim King, he's he's, he's definitely up there. He's, well, not anything. He's out there, man. Um, he's he's out there. <laughs> Uh, but he's out in the Kennedy Space Center and he said, oh, there's an interesting factoid. The internet speed at the Kennedy Space Center is 91 gigabits per second. Right. Only 10% of the land is used for space and the rest is a conservation area. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, eight foot deep gravel tracks that go uh, the miles between the construction areas on the pads are made from rocks from a Tennessee riverbed so that they don't spark when the crawlers drive over them. Which is very important, of course, because you don't want the space shuttle That's blowing cool. up. That's uh, cool. And the, yeah. two, the two crawlers themselves cost $12 million each. And they so can go four miles an hour top speed and only half a mile an hour when they've got the rocket stack on top of them. And they're still absolutely in perfect working condition. And he said well, Elon Musk builds his rockets horizontally so he doesn't have to use the vertical assembly building. And uh, he insists on using Pad 39A as he believes it's hollowed ground. Hallowed I ground, I should say. Uh, and yeah, I've got not hollowed. That would I know, be difficult. I've got, I've got one more, I've got one more uh, reader, reader letter. And it says, oh, um, go on. yeah, he goes, if you're an astronaut and you don't end every relationship by saying, look, I just need space then you're wasting everyone's time. (laughs) (laughs) That is good. And it appeals to you, Matt, because you love a pun. I love a pun. Do you know what, Matt? A a fun fact of of my own. Um, Mm -hmm. I bought a T-shirt from Spaceport America in New Mexico... Mm-hmm. When I went to when I went to see you know when I went to meet old um, Branson see what see what Virgin Galactic were up to mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and I mm-hmm. bought a T-shirt in the shop there that said I just need my space with a with a rocket next to it and I don't talk about it much because I'm probably just going to get bullied for being some kind of nerd <laughs> <laughs> but listen mm-hmm. I've kissed girls so I don't think you have. Well, you right, say you just, have, but I've never seen it. And if right, I did, edit, I'd probably edit, be a bit edit, grim. Edit that, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dear. I, but I might dig out that T-shirt. It's a classic. Yeah, it's good. Well, I love all them letters coming in. Um, I hope that that inspires more people to write in because it literally is. We say it every week, but that's our favourite thing, isn't it? Yeah. Reading the responses because we just ramble on. Oh, God, but hearing what people on. think is wicked. Yeah. Even if it is to challenge what we've said, which is totally the point. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's uh, great. I will. Yeah, I mean, on the blog, I'll I'll stick up. I'll stick that letter up in full. Well, an edited version of it, so you can see a, a, yeah. a better explanation. Because I didn't really go into a lot of what he said about the Van der Waals forces and the Coulomb forces and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and how plants are made. It's very, very interesting. Uh, it really is. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a there's obviously other than the rocket labs launch there's the so, uh, there, there's the, the Europeanized Soyuz launch today and yeah. sp- and SpaceX have been have really are really building up their cadence at the moment with the, with the amount of rocket launches they're doing uh, the last one not having a flyback because it um, required the fuel to get this very very heavy payload into space. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Whitson and Fisher have been out doing the 200th ISS spacewalk as well. 
Can you believe 200th. that? 200th. 200th ISS spacewalk. And I think Whitson did the 100th as well. So there's yeah, there you go. Yeah, she's what was she fourth <laughs> or fifth in the in the table of yeah I think she's well she's something uh, like that female she's but she's the number one space oh, walker well, and by uh, far. yeah, yeah uh, but yeah fifth yeah I think she's fifth um, keep going so, Peggy yeah legend so, oh I tell you what I just want to quickly mention an article by Paul yeah. Gilster in uh, in on his Centauri Dreams uh, blog that he has, oh, yeah. which I always go to. I love it because it's about interstellar travel. And it's, remember the weight equation that we talked about oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, ages and ages ago on our interstellar travel uh, episode? Um, I remember. Uh, yeah, the weight equation basically is this, is if you set out in a starship and the journey takes, well, say, like 100 years, do you yeah. wait just in case in the meantime... Uh, you develop another starship that can overtake you, uh, and uh, it, it was a, it was a problem that was looked at in an article in the Journal of the British Interplanetary Society by Andrew right. Kennedy, and it was called the weight calculation, and and he put some kind of terms to it. You know, how long do you wait uh, before you think right? Okay, we've got to go with the with the current technology. Uh, uh-huh. Someone has re-looked into this um, particular problem and uh, and they've looked at kinetic energy and the graph of how speed has been growing and the, the breakthrough starshot uh, proposal if that was to go ahead and really did reach a substantial uh, percentage of the speed of light then it would break that particular yeah. um, what's been exponential growth in speed since the first train, basically. Uh, and and therefore, it would smash this whole idea right. of the weight equation and puts a whole new spin on it. It's a really, really interesting article. So uh, I think everyone should go and have a look at that. Uh, Paul Gilster on Centauri Dreams. That is... That's insane. Yeah, definitely put that up on the blog, please. A relativistic generalisation of the incentive trap of interstellar travel with application to breakthrough starshot. Sounds like something I'd write, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, it's absolutely um, uh, cool paper. That, that is one. awesome. Well, um, we will see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening, and um, you're just troopers. A lot of you. See you soon, Space Cats. See you soon. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye bye.